Hello and welcome to another episode of The Coder Career with me, Cameron Blackwood. For those of you who are not familiar, I am now a software engineer, but I used to be a technical recruiter. So I've created this podcast so that you can learn from my experience on both sides of the table. And I interview people from a wide variety of backgrounds, both in technical and non-technical roles that can help you break into the tech industry. And if you're already in it, level up within it. Today, my guest is a uh, friend of mine who I worked with uh, for, for quite a while, actually. Um, I had a really good time working with him. He's one of the funniest blokes I've ever met. Uh, it's Sam Cox. He's had a ton of experience in the technical recruitment industry, both externally and internally. So he has so much insight to give. So today's episode is going to be a real corker, I think. Uh, Sam, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me on. No worries at all. My pleasure. So um, would you like to give the listeners just a bit of background um, to, to who you are and um, and what, what your current role is? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, as you mentioned, a bit of experience within, within recruitment. So I recently found out it's been 10 years, which was nice. Uh, <laughs> didn't realize it was quite that long. Um, but yeah, I started out in, a, in an RPO, um, then moved down to London in 2013 and, and went through some agencies um, and then obviously joined Talent, with uh, where, where worked alongside yourself. Um, and now I'm working internally at a company called Form3, um, so a cloud-based payments as a service um, company. Um, five years, but our birthday was uh, on Monday, actually, five years, uh, so we moved into more of a scale-up now. Um, so really exciting time uh, to be working there. I started in the engineering side, but now I'm heading up the, the product recruitment, um, so obviously still a focus on on tech, um, but more from the, from the product side than engineering. It's very fashionable, cloud payments. Very must be a cool company to work for. Yeah, and like I said, been five years, so they, I mean, it's it's kind of exposed in the last two, so it's quite good that they were in, they got in there early. Um, software's all cloud based; it's all it's all in GoLang. Um, so yeah, it's very cool, very cool. Awesome. It's quite easy to attract people, to be honest. Yeah, no, I can imagine <laughs> from an engineering perspective that is a pretty cool prospect. Yeah. So normally, what I like to do to warm things up a little bit on the podcast, and so people can get to know you a bit better, is a uh, just a few quick fire questions. No pressure here, um, but some pressure. Uh, so <laughs> the first question is: What was your first personal computer? Yeah, so I, one of my earliest memories was playing the Neighbors video game. And I'm pretty sure that was on a Commodore 64. Um, <laughs> there was a Neighbours video, as in the Australian yeah. soap. Yeah, yeah. so you went around <laughs> delivering newspapers. Uh, so didn't really have anything to do with the soap. Um, but I, I remember that being the first time I remember being on a computer. Um, that Again, that shows my age again. Um, but yeah, there was that. And then obviously we had the family computer. I have no idea what make it was. But that was my earliest memory was a Commodore 64. That's an iconic machine, to be fair. And yeah. uh, it was, and it was uh, the worst game, probably. I don't know why we had that one. We didn't have anything else. <laughs> the the thing about about gaming back then, it was just so much random stuff would would, would get a would get a game. And I, I absolutely love that the uh, that something that is now on Channel Five had a <laughs> uh, had a video game. So that is awesome. Yeah. I can't believe you I, never told I, me about that. That is so. No, I know. <laughs> I think the production of video games back then was you could probably knock that out in a week, like the ET game. So I don't oh think yeah, it was sure. Too oh, <laughs> The ET game's notorious, isn't it? They buried yeah. them all in the desert because uh, they were yeah, so someone, bad. Someone dug them up as well. And I think they made a bit of money from the guy who dug them up. <laughs> That's a weird, weird, uh, weird story, that one. And um, for the next quick fire question, what's your favourite tech city in the world? Yeah, I guess in terms of where I've actually visited, I'm obviously a bit biased being in London. But um, I think London's, in terms of Europe, probably the biggest tech city. Outside of San Francisco, I'd say it's probably the most iconic and, and biggest for tech um but i think personally one place i want to visit um it would be japan so i think for tech japan would definitely or tokyo um would certainly be a place i'd want to go um for that side but personally i think london's probably outside of san francisco the biggest biggest tech city 
Yeah, Japan's majorly on on my bucket list. I think that just the history of the uh, of the large corporate uh, of the large electronics corporations there is fascinating, and how they've yeah. shaped the world. Uh, but yeah, London. I mean, it, it's great. I mean, I've just moved out of London, but um, li- living there is the the buzz is awesome around Shoreditch and the amount of innovation that's happening. And everyone's got a startup. It's very much like the Valley in that way. Uh, it's it's very cool. And uh, yeah, I'm not surprised you said London. Um, it's pro- probably to be honest. Uh, not show any biases. Probably my favourite too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it helps being here. But yeah, maybe if I move yeah. to Japan, I'll change my mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about for when you're working? Are you more of a music's uh, music's podcasts or music man? Yeah, uh, music. I, I can't. Uh, I've, I've struggled to do two things at once. Um, so I find if I'm listening to a podcast and working, I'll have to rewind it, and then I'm either not working or not listening. So I have to. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put some music. I do put on Daily Drive podcast on, on Spotify in the morning just when I'm doing a bit of admin. That's quite interesting. So it's a mix of news and, and music. Um, mm. But yeah, generally it would be music for the day. Nice. And what, what was the last, uh, last song you played on Spotify? Uh, so Senses Fail um, released a new song today uh, called Death by Water. So oh, I don't nice. know if you remember Senses Fail. It was yeah, one I remember Senses Fail. Yeah, one of the biggest yeah. emo bands. <laughs> so I still follow them. They're still making music. Um, and they released a new one today, which is, which is really good. So that's the last, last thing I listened to. Yeah, I remember we were uh, in, in that office at, at Talent. We were the only two sort of rock and metal heads. So a lot yeah. of good chats about that sort of stuff. While yeah. everyone else, I was like, oh my God, it's just noise. Like, Yeah, and then put a little mix on instead. Was, uh... Yeah, he's like, oh God, I, 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 I miss some good times at Talent, but I do not miss the radio. No, I have my headphones <laughs> on pretty much 24-7. <laughs> yeah, you and me both, mate, you and me both. Um, what about in terms of like how the time of day, would you say you're more of an early bird or a night owl? Um, what, work-wise or just... Generally. I guess I guess both, yeah. Like generally being productive, whether that's work or not. Yeah, I, I think I'm a night owl for sure. I don't like mornings very much. Um, I think I now permanently work from home, so they're a lot easier. Um, and I don't have a commute to think about. So I I probably move more towards the morning side, but I'm definitely a night owl in terms of just uh, doing more in the evening. Um, and I don't like mornings too much, so I have to go with that. I think night owl. Yeah, I'm de- definitely the same, and I think. Uh, yeah, the the whole COVID situation and, and the move towards work from home has just made uh, made things so much easier uh, for the night hours among us. It's a good experiment for people being productive as well. So people are still productive. I think that was a fear of companies was people will be less productive, but I think they've shown that they're more productive if anything. So yeah, I, I'm a huge believer in that, and I think allowing people to set what hours work best for them, not not just for like. Uh, when they feel more productive, because I know a lot of devs in particular really do prefer working late at night. Uh, but then also as well, being able to work it around commitments, like uh, if you have a family or something like that, it, it, yeah. can, make, it can just make, and if someone's life is easier, they're less stressed, they're going to be more productive. Everyone yeah, wins, right? For sure. Yeah. Um, and what what about, le- le- less deep question here, um, when you're working throughout the day, coffee or tea? Oh, coffee, 100%. I don't, yeah. I rarely have any milk, so <laughs> just black coffee all day. I've got an espresso machine now so um it's a little bit fancier but yeah definitely Moving up in the world very yeah. nice um yeah i don't have it as a quick fire question but uh I, I do remember when we were working together um the traditional sort of 2 p.m trip to tesco to buy those cumberland sausages that were oh, already man, made yeah uh, i don't miss that my monzo's no, changed. You know, you know, the, yearly, the yearly report we used to get oh. um, I, th- I think you'd been in Mon- uh, been in tesco more days than the year 
So that meant you've had multiple trips each yeah, day. It's, it's, oh, don't don't say that. My, my, my people I know are going to be listening. To <laughs> you brought up the Cumberland sausage, not me. Yeah, I did bring up. Yeah, it was oh, just yeah. Makes um, you feel a bit sick thinking about it. But, the yeah. fact that we no longer work in an office that was next door to one uh, to a place that does that is probably very good for both of our health. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and um, final quick fire question: uh, If you were if you weren't working in the recruitment world at all, what do you think you'd be doing? Um, I don't really know. I kind of fell into recruitment, so it's almost, you know, what, what would I do? I, I've always been keen on drama and acting. Um, not necessarily pursued it too much, but I think I might have liked to have pursued that a bit more if it was a slightly more tangible career choice. Um, but yeah, I've always enjoyed sort of drama or, or acting. Um, so probably something in that. And I think if I was born maybe 10 years later, I might be an engineer, software engineer. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I also did a games design course when I was younger. So I spent a lot of my youth not knowing what I wanted to do so try and do a lot of different things and then naturally landed into recruitment yeah, <laughs> um, as is often the way yeah exactly <laughs> same yeah. same thing happened to me basically still uh, was trying to figure out what to do um but yeah that uh, that that's cool that's an interesting variety of potential choices there yeah so that kind of feeds quite nicely into the first first uh, question really I mean what what led to you working into the specific uh technical recruitment niche uh did you know someone in the industry already or, or was it literally just falling into it one day yeah, so I'm uh, from a fairly small town in Devon um, called Newton Abbott. Um, so in terms of work down there, there wasn't you know, much outside of, sort of retail or hospitality, but there was a company called Blue Glue um, that were an RPO. Um, I had no idea what recruitment was um, or tech really, but they were focused on startups in London, but working from, from Devon. Um, so that's how I first got into that. And I think our bonus was five pound or higher it went into a pot so I didn't even know you know commission wise oh great a bit commission but um yeah so that was my first job that's how I kind of got into that and it was very much focused on the the startup uh startups in London in 2008 nine so around about financial crisis uh, crisis time uh, which was interesting <laughs> but it was interesting to see you know investment into startups I don't really know anything about startups um so that's how I first started in there again it was a bit of an accident falling into recruitment um but you know uh, the idea of sales and uh, what you might get at the end in terms of your commission was always always nice but um, I was really grateful to actually work in tech um, so I think it's one of those things you're surrounded by but you don't know how much of an interest you have it until you're working around it um, and I found it fascinating so yeah that's how I kind of first got into it. Okay cool sounds good and for, for people that maybe aren't familiar because the recruitment industry is very big in the UK not so much elsewhere can you explain kind of what, what a day-to-day difference is between someone who does what you do now, like working internally or working externally, either as a recruitment consultant or in an RPO uh, setup? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, so obviously internally you're you're employed by the company you're hiring for. Um, so obviously currently I'm at Form 3, so they, they've employed me to be a recruiter for them um, to bring talent into the team. Um, and then externally uh, you'd be a recruitment agency, so you'd be kind of the middleman between the company and the candidates. Um, so you're employed indirectly um, by the company. So you would take on the job briefs from them, uh, source the candidates um, and, and act as a, as a bridge between the two um, and taking the candidates through the process um, and obviously for a fee um, being an external company. Yeah, so that's the difference. So this is my first internal role and it's been great to actually see the people that I bring into the company and, and have interactions with them. Um, but yeah, that's the difference between those two. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting difference. I mean, I didn't... Um... I didn't do internal flat long. I, I did it once I knew I was going to leave it in a way. So it was quite a weird setup. I only did it for sort of nine months or so. Um, but yeah, it is very rewarding to bring people into an organization and, and help them uh, sort of work their way up. And I mean, particularly the junior hires are extremely rewarding in, in that respect. And 
Um, I don't know how much uh, junior and entry level hiring uh, you, you've done internally, but would you say there's anything in particular that, uh, and I suppose this applies to your external days as well. And when we were working together at Talent, which is kind of in the middle, um, what what would make a junior person stand out to you? Because we know that when you advertise a junior position, you get hundreds of applications in and it's very difficult to, to find the exact fit. Is there anything in particular you look out for? Yeah, um, it is a tough one. Um, I think because it's not just about, you know, talking to them on the phone it's about them actually getting to that point in the first place um yeah i think knowing knowing what your interests are and focusing on that um if you're trying to spread yourself too thin uh you could be coming across as particularly vague um and that's not too attractive to someone that's hiring in a particular area um so you know say if your interest is finance or if your interest is any kind of um different kinds of tech try and just focus on those companies um you know build cover letters for those and, and make it relevant to that um, but i think also know your worth as well so i think that relates to Learn your interests so you know don't don't sell yourself short for positions just because you want to get into the industry uh, maybe spend a little bit longer actually working out what you want to do and, and focus on that um but you know it's, it's very candidate driven at the moment um maybe not so much for juniors uh, but i think taking that time to focus on what you want to do will be more rewarding for you and it will come across more in a, an interview setting when you're actually talking about uh you know, your passion and, and and working for companies like that yeah, absolutely. And it is, unfortunately, it's quite obvious when a candidate comes in with a scattergun approach of, you know, I'm just going to apply for a load of different jobs. And it is, I do remember that being a major red flag for me. And I think the more generally, the more you can tailor uh, tailor your application to someone. And I, I, I'm sure you'd agree with me here in that it's much better to apply for uh, 10 jobs a week with an extremely detailed application where, where you've res- thoroughly researched a company versus 100 where you've just hit the apply the quick apply, apply now. And I wish job boards didn't have that option, really. Yeah, I mean, it might get you into some place. I think the other thing is um, just build connections as well. And there's people, if there's people you know, you know mentorship, take on mentors um, that can help you within the industry because, like you said, there are a lot of people and it's hard to... Hard to uh, individualize everybody when you're when you're going for applications, um, which is what you want to do. But if you have a lot, it's hard to do that. So maybe if you have a mentor or you have people within the industry who can put you in touch with people directly, um, you know, referrals are, are huge. That's if you're referred by somebody that someone knows, it's uh, it's a huge huge gain. Um, so that might be something to look at as well. Let's go to events, um, you know, maybe not in COVID times, but try and get as try and go to as many events as you can and, and get in touch with people and build a network. Um, and those referrals will yeah really help. Yeah, it's definitely the highest success rate is uh, is someone referring referring someone else in in terms of if a candidate will succeed in an organisation. And I'm really glad you said that about events because really just putting yourself out there and and speaking to people it's it's an industry where luckily people are very nice and people are always looking to help each other out. Um, in fact, I remember my first week as an agent uh, as a recruitment agent um, doing stuff externally. Uh, an agency I worked for had a few cowboys working for them. And uh, one of them said to me, uh, he was explaining what Stack Overflow was. And he said, yeah, it's very strange. Uh, developers like to help each other. It's quite weird like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's someone who spent a long time in external recruitment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not all external recruiters are like that at all. But um, right. it was, that, that, that quote will always stick with me. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's what the open source community is about, right? That's why um, engineering is so brilliant because... It's a smart. I mean, it's it's like a science as well, isn't it? People want to uh, evolve and they want to move the industry forward. Um, and the way you can do that is through collaborating. Um, yeah, so that's why it's it's a really interesting industry. 
Yeah, exactly. And um, I'm glad you brought up open source as well, because that is another really great way for you to get noticed if you're a junior, because, you know, open source, it doesn't mean you have to work on a new version of React or or doing some high performance computing mad stuff like, you know, I'm a mid level and I wouldn't have a clue about that stuff. It what what it, you can do stuff like translating, like say, say, if English isn't your native language. Uh, you can bet the documentation needs to be in in another language, and if if you if you're bilingual, and that's a great way you can help out, yeah. and you still get listed as a contributor, people love to see you contributing to the wider ecosystem. And um, I mean, I could say from my time as a recruiter, and I'm sure you'd agree, that's an amazing way to stand up the CV is is contributing to open source. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've recently hired a technical writer as well. It's the first kind of time I've really done that, but obviously that's that's another way into the industry. Um, is is working on API documentation and and being around engineers, and that can be a path in as well if it's not clear that you can get in straight away on the junior level uh, maybe look at roles around the tech team and in, in, in that way yeah absolutely and and anyone that's maybe decided to transition from like a marketing background you're at a real advantage there uh, the the skills are very close together you can get in uh, through doing technical writing developer relations uh, and that sort of thing is, is a great uh, is a great way forward and th- those jobs are there's more of them now basically because companies are realizing the value of having a good sort of open source and and tooling uh, brand instead of just having amazing proprietary software, just having it really clear and open um, is a is a great way forward. So yeah, there's a ton ton of stuff that can help you stand out as a junior. And obviously as well, um, when we were at Talent, there were sort of thirty of us in the room, and if someone had a good personal website. I remember there was one where um, I don't remember the guy's name and I wouldn't name it on the podcast anyway for privacy reasons, but it was really cool. He had a picture of his face and his face followed you around. Yeah, where your I remember that was. <laughs> yeah, that was great. And then there was another guy who made almost like a sort of Mario, Mario World um, CV and you, you actually had to go through, it's like a platformer and you had to go through it and it gave him like the skills was the first level and then his, then his like work history was the next level. That was really, really cool as well. Yeah, anything like that, it just gets passed around the office and people love it and they're yeah. going to be more motivated to get to get your job. And you yeah. can use all kinds of like libraries and that sort of thing um, to, to impress a recruiter uh, in, in the construction of your website. Like it doesn't have to be something super under the hood. Like there, there's plenty of cool libraries to be able to do that kind of thing. Um, I mean, we're talking about positive stuff now. Um, have you got any, uh, obviously, thoroughly anonymized, um, yeah. any horror stories of, of something crazy a candidate has done? Horror story? Oh, um, <laughs> um, I'm just trying to think if I could say any of them. Um, I mean, there's not, there's not been anything mad. I think, I think it's things like um, attitude sometimes has been very strange, like the defensive nature of people. But I also think that if you're, going through a lot of stressful recruitment processes rejection can be hard and I could have been the the tenth one of that day um and then you know that can be the outburst but I've I've had I've had one I've heard a story of a one guy who ended up running a minicab for um company from the office office's car park that he was contracting that. I absolutely <laughs> so was a, love that yeah contract software engineer and he, he was always on his phone looking out the window and they found out that he was just running a mini, yeah, minicab business from the car park <laughs> that is genius yeah uh, I I've heard that is better than the best one I've heard because I, I heard a similar one where a guy was a candidate, but he also owned, he was a software engineer, so he was a legitimate candidate, but he also owned his own recruitment agency. So he would try and sell you candidates basically when he was in the process. Oh, so wow. he would be competing against himself. So it was kind of like a really clever insurance policy because he knew it'd yeah. get a fee, by the way, which I thought was genius, to be honest. Yeah. And there's no law against it. It's a weird loophole. 
Yeah, no, that makes yeah, that makes sense. I guess you can do that for a certain bit, can't you? Then just get a job. <laughs> Let's go yeah. for the last one. <laughs> and anyone listening, that stuff catches up to you in the industry. Yeah, the yeah, recruitment absolutely. industry is very small. Like people, yeah. will, people, people will like notice this as genius again. as it is. Yeah. Do not run a mini cab office from uh, from your desk while you're working. Yeah, exactly. Uh, don't have don't have a burner phone which you're running the business from either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly um that's crazy uh so I, I guess if you're if you're being contacted um as an engineer either by an internal or external agent this, the, I, I guess this this doesn't really matter either way what what are some kind of flags to look out for uh, either green or red flags to know if this is a good or a bad opportunity is there anything you would advise from 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 your side yeah i think um transparency for in any kind of advert or or, or contact you're receiving so um I think from an internal point of view, anyway, I, we work quite hard on our on our emails um, to try and make them as tailored as possible, depending on how many people you're reaching out to, but also just to be as informative as possible. So I think um, how transparent the company are with their information on what the role is, um, what your responsibility would be, why they reached out to you, um, but also uh, things like tech stack on these on these companies. How I, I, you see a lot with just everything listed. Um, and that would say to me, the company hasn't looked at your profile uh, to uh, understand where you'd fit within that sort of ecosystem. So I think, um, yeah, well-tailored information that is that is sent to you and they have, the, the person has a good grasp of of what their company does as well. Because again, if, if it's an agency recruiter um, and they're reaching out to you, something, obviously they're naturally going to be quite vague uh, to a degree because they have to protect their own interests of, of the company before they speak to you. Um, but I think if you can get a good gauge that they understand what, what that role is and what the company does um, is important because otherwise you're going to be on a call with them trying to talk to them about why you're why you're relevant for that position and they won't even know it themselves. Um, so it could be a waste of time. Um, yeah. yeah, I think I think transparency from a company from the beginning um, and their own knowledge of what they're trying to to introduce to you and why you're relevant for it is is good. Yeah, it's it's a really good point, and I think if people are kind of playing. Uh, I guess like word soup um, and just chucking uh, chucking random things uh, in an email. Like I, I get the the uh, weird trend I've been having recently is recruiters messaging me and saying, um, uh, listing this tech stack and saying like, oh, if you fit the bill, then yeah. message me back. And it's, it's lazy, uh, it'll isn't be it? stuff that I've never touched. Yeah, and they'll yeah. be like, um, you know, if it's uh, uh, I, I get stuff for like DevOps and and um, yeah. I get CTO ones and and that sort of thing. It, yeah, it's, it's very sh- strange. It either shows they haven't looked at your profile or they don't know what they're they're hiring for. Um, you know, it could be the other end. You could be getting CTOs getting junior developer roles because they've <laughs> been part of a mass email uh, send out. So that would be a red flag for sure. Um, if you if you read it and you feel like oh, this really sounds like me, then that's that's a great start. Um, and yeah, I think that's what you should you should try to work out if this sounds like what you're doing or what you want to do. That would be the first thing. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think uh, particularly in, in a situation where the uh, the recruiter reaches out to you is internal as well, uh, I would advise any, any junior, like, don't be afraid to ask questions about the company culture and, and that sort of thing, because one, it, it shows genuine interest. And two, as well, it allows the recruiter to, uh, to sell it properly to you and you can get a real sense of, of what that organization is like to work for, because yeah. you don't always want to, a company might be a good company, but it might not be a good fit for you. Like it's not a binary situation um, mm-hmm. from either side of the table. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, like you said there with uh, um, the culture side of things, that's, I really like it when, when candidates ask, what is the culture like? Not yeah, maybe not that vague, but they want to not understand what the working culture is like, especially because I work for a fully remote business. Um, I think it's important for people to understand how that works. Um, but yeah, any questions around culture shows again that you're more interested than just the 
the nuts and bolts of the role. Um, you want to know how it works. And yeah, go on Glassdoor, have a look at reviews on there uh, for companies. Um, and that'll, that should give you a true understanding of the interview process and also people that already work there. Um, so check those reviews out as well, I'd say. Yeah, for, for sure. Absolutely. And it can bring up some good talking points. And um, particularly a red flag is if you bring up the glass door reviews and the recruiter gets defensive. It's, yeah, that's always a clear yeah. one. I, I, it's, it's an interesting one because some obviously the reviews are on there for the interview process as well. So you can get a lot of people who are negative because they've been rejected. But it's also very important to listen to that because you want to understand the reason why, you know, why they're not happy because it could be something within your process, which isn't right. Um, you know, time or, or feedback is, is, isn't right. So it's important to to take those into into effect as well, um, but also understand that you know people can be defensive on on that side. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, it's worth considering that as well. Is that uh, a lot of the time people that do leave, it's always worth checking Glassdoor. But remember, people either leave review if things have gone really well or really badly. Uh, so um, yeah. Yeah, always keep that times. in mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so that yeah that that's kind of something worth keeping in mind and. We, we touched on the interview process a little bit. What What's the process for someone who's an engineer, um, a candidate at Form 3? How, how, how does it work from start to finish? Yeah, it's quite streamlined, um, to be honest. So the first would be um, a call with someone in the talent team, so, so it's myself, essentially. Um, and that would be to go through uh, the role, obviously, and talk about their experience and, and what they might be interested in. We have um, a... a candidate document we send out as well before, which lists, um, which is really good. It's all branded and it, and it lists all of our technologies how our teams work um and can really appreciate that it's a lot of information before the call um following that they'll then be sent be sent a technical test um which they complete in their own time uh, it's all done through github um and they have as long as they need to do that because we don't necessarily just hire for go engineers we, we hire for people who are sort of polyglots or have an interest in go um because it's you know it's, it's not the biggest market in terms of uh, available candidates uh, but we because we only hire for senior engineers uh, we feel we don't need to ask people to have a particular um, language. If they've been working 10 years, it's probably the easiest thing an experienced engineer can do is, is pick up a new a new, uh, uh, a new language, especially if it's got a similar syntax to it or whatever it might be. But yeah, so they'll do the technical test, and that's where we probably have most people falling down because it is to a fairly high standard. Um, it's reviewed by two of our engineers who are currently in the, in the company. Um, they review it together um, and then provide feedback on that. Um, if that's passed, then it'll go. Then it'll go through to the final stage, um, and that's in three parts uh, for thirty minutes at a time. And they'll meet three different senior engineers um, to cover different things. So they'll talk through the, te- the technical test, ask some questions about why they did things in a certain way, um, and then there will be a kind of debugging exercise in there as well because we have people on call. Um, so it's understanding how you might deal with a with a problem if you're on call. Um, but that's it really. So it's quite a condensed process, um, and I think it works. It works really well. Um, obviously, now now we're growing a lot. We have to think about the structure of um, bringing people back in who have maybe failed the test in the past because we don't let people retake that after any certain amount of time. Um, but obviously, being five years now, those people who failed earlier on in the process um, could be experienced engineers. Um, so that's that's an area we're looking at. But um, I think it's a really it's it's a really good uh, a really good setup because it's not talking to six people in four different interviews um you know it's very structured you talk to me and then you, then you do a test and then you speak to some engineers um and, and that's the whole process 
Yeah, that, that sounds really good and clearly defined is the most important bit because yeah. having some clarity from the candidate side and again, candidates who, um, you know, developers who are listening, who are maybe applying for jobs right now, absolutely don't be afraid to ask a recruiter uh, what the process is and, yeah. uh, and what it's like because it shows interest from your side. And you can also, if they don't have a process, you know that this might be a bit of a wild roller coaster. Yeah, uh, especially with startups. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, startups tend to, start bringing people into the process and that's, I remember it being a talent it was just like you know banging your head against the wall it's like you need to define this before you start because you can't if these people also are in a high demand they've got a lot of options on, on the table um you might be their favorite but they need to start thinking about timelines and you know you can't ask them to wait another two weeks if they've already gone off somewhere else um so yeah that's why I, that's why I go back to about transparency and that kind of thing um with candidates it's it's really important that you're getting that from the person you're talking to at the company um if they're vague or they're not really giving you information there's probably something else going on, um, which is which is a problem. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a big sort of green flag if you're dealing with a recruiter and they're, they're very transparent with you. And uh, especially with internal recruiters, give, give that back in transparency. Yeah. Uh, the one thing where I would say don't be transparent is if you're working with an external recruiter and they're like, just out of interest. Oh, yeah. What are the other jobs? you're Because yeah. what's happening there is you're going to get five CVs competing against you coming in the next morning. Yeah. So don't do that. <laughs> yeah, just let, let them know, you know what where you are in the process for those ones and what the salary is. They're probably the two, they're the two things they need to compete with, and that's all they need to know from from that point. Yeah, of view. even if there's a bit of pressure, don't give the name uh, and don't give a reference at the at the first stage. Yeah, it's, it's, they're, it's they're not just going to. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a sales tactic, and uh, you know it, it's one of the best ways that recruiters, uh, external recruiters, use to um, to gather up new leads. But don't be afraid of working with external recruiters equally. No, that's of course just not. The two, I, I, yeah, I think I, I think you know our time at Talent showed that having people having people who are focused on say if you're in a particular area say like said devops or you're a cloud engineer that can be quite niche you're you're going to be well off working with a recruiter who's spent a lot of time in that industry um because ultimately they want you to find a position um so i think working with specialist recruiters is yeah still 100 percent relevant yeah definitely if you have a i i actually had a uh, another guest on the podcast the other day joe who who is a devops specialist uh, mm-hmm. recruiter and we were talking about the importance of working with a couple of trusted partnered recruiters throughout yep. your career can really accelerate things on both sides and that's the yep. approach he's trying to uh, he's trying to promote as much as yeah, possible definitely. So. Obviously, you know it's hard for everyone to do that in the in especially in london for the amount of recruiters there are yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah see those people out maybe even maybe even talk to your friends who have been hired through recruiters and talk to them about who helped them yeah, and also that's a win-win because you'll often get some cash uh, if, yeah. you, if you do that. So Back to referrals. Can, uh, <laughs> yeah, all the Amazon vouchers. Yeah, this, uh, this world deductible. is all washed with tax-deductible Amazon <laughs> vouchers. So if you know where to look, you'll, you'll, you'll never have to worry about getting random <laughs> random bits of Amazon ever again. Yeah. Um, cool. And uh, we're, we're kind of talking about the vacancies here and um, the kind of elephant in the room and something's it's kind of been the zeitgeist recently uh, in, here in the UK and I'm sure uh, listeners in other parts of the world that the same conversation will be going on in your country uh, is the fact that we have a digital skills gap where uh, we have lots of vacancies um, but we don't quite have the right amount of people who are uh, who are upskilled to take up those vacancies and therefore we kind of have a coiled spring in the economy here where yes we already have a great tech ecosystem in the UK but we could become the best with the potential that we have if you were in charge Sam how, how do you think you would promote it and what kind of policies both public and private would uh, w- would be effective oh we're putting the world to rights here aren't question. We? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah um yeah I think it's a very hard one I, I, it's because it's balancing the like you said the the training people you have and the experience you have now with the time you have. So it's impossible to, 
give someone five years experience now um you can't do that uh, but obviously uh, i i think but i think people are because the the technology ecosystem is advancing much quicker than it would have done when you're working on pearl or cobalt you know that's those things were around for a long time um, but now you have languages changing all the time so i think people's uh, experience is becoming probably more valuable in a, in a shorter amount of time um but i i think teaching at a young age is really important so i, I don't know if you're the same but i know there's there's like age difference between us but when i was back at school it was information technology we learned how to make spreadsheets and that was about it um there's no computer science but now you have you know things like raspberry pi in schools and you have children in primary school learning computer science um which never had the opportunity to do that myself i would love to have had that and i think that will give people uh, you know give young people an interest in and, and be fascinated by that. i think it's impossible not to be fascinated by technology um and things that are doing that and then if they have a spark in them, they want to be part of building that um, that's the best place to do it. But obviously that's going to take a long time for that to then come through to the pool. So I think currently it's, it's hard. It's about, I think it's about accessibility, um, giving it to the widest audience possible. So talking about diversity and inclusion, um, you know, it's a huge, huge area to, to bring more people in from that side. And, and, and then you're make, then you're helping diversity and inclusion as well. So it's a win-win on both sides. Um, yeah, I think it's, I just think it's hard uh, to, want people to be experienced now because that's, that's not going to happen. Um, so it's about how do you make it more accessible and have more interest around it in the next five to 10 years. Um, so I don't have a quick fix for it now. Um, yeah. I, don't know what, I, don't, I don't know what the plaster is for this problem. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's just about con- continuing to make it accessible to as many people as possible. Um, I don't think it's always been that way. Um, so the more people it's accessible to, the more people it reaches, more people become interested in it and actually pursue it as a career uh, following on from that. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think the the fact your answer uh, was focused on uh, early education and children is, is really important because kids' brains are like sponges, right? And I, yeah. I was the same case of you. I mean, I, I was born in 95, so I turned 26 a few weeks ago. And, um, you know, I, I was in school in the late t- noughties and left in 2013. And, you know, we stopped doing IT in, in uh, year eight. So for those who aren't from the UK, that, that's, uh, that's when you're about 13 years old. So it's very early on. And I, I had a similar experience, just spreadsheets, really. So yeah. um, what I, I have heard now is that, yeah, exactly. I've heard ra- Raspberry Pi um, is, is being taught, which is great. And uh, even younger than that, stuff like Scratch, like if you're listening and you've got kids yourself, uh, MIT has released Scratch, which is totally free and open source as a uh, fun little way to program small small things um, and basically blocks uh, for kids. And, you know, any, uh, any kid that's sort of six or seven or older will be able to handle it. And it's about planting that seed of curiosity um, yeah. with, with a kid and making them not intimidated uh, by, by technology. And before you know it, they're, they're going to be hacking and that sort of thing yeah, when yeah. they're a teenager. Eth- ethical hacking, of course. <laughs> ethical, yeah. of course, yeah, of course, ethical hacking. Um, but but yeah, it's a, it's about building the comfort because you don't have to fear so much when you're a kid. It's like it, it's like when you're doing some kind of like uh, if you're learning to weird example, if you learn to skateboard or something like mm. I would be terrified of learning to skateboard now because yeah. you're full hard because you know what like, happened. Yeah, yeah, I was terrified the first time I opened the terminal uh, because I thought I'd break my computer and because I didn't do that until I was 22. Yeah. Whereas yeah. if I was nine. Um, although don't let your kid use a terminal without you supervising them. <laughs> uh, so please don't sue me if you lose all your documents uh, or, or your machine gets bricked like that. They're not, they're not going to have the intimidation and, and, and be scared. And then, you know, it, that, that's the best way, uh, best way to help. And I think yeah. um, promoting things like apprenticeships as well is, is a great way forward. You know, if, if I, mm. if I ran a business, I would definitely 
hire sort of apprentices after leaving school because it's a great yeah. way to earn some money and learn some skills. Well, I think the idea is the the, the skill the the gaps at the top, isn't it, with the experience? Well, that's what the idea yeah. is, um, and that's not you can't fix that. What you can do is put in place. Do you need to have the most experienced person for what you're building, or can you, like you say, give opportunities to people who? Are, uh, there's, there's a lot of junior people out there, you know, things like the wagon and um, you know all the different coding schools, um, which are excellent, but it's also meaning there are more people on the junior end of, of things. So maybe working out how you can restructure your own way of building things within your company, um, which will give opportunities to those people. Um, maybe more, more, you know, a bigger team, but more juniors in there. Um, it's a hard one because ultimately the more complex things you want to build, you need someone with experience. Um, but do you need all the people with the experience or can you have a team which is made up of, you know, both ends? It's the chicken and egg question, but uh, yeah. Yeah, stuff stuff like bringing in, I think once you get to a certain size, a junior is, is, is an investment. And if you treat them well, they'll stay with you. And uh, reverse mentoring is a big thing as well, mm. where senior engineers learn things from from juniors. Like, yeah, 100%. Even yeah. me, I, I've only been doing this full time for like not even quite two years yet. And um, uh, the amount I've learned from people that learned to code this year is yeah, well, crazy. That's what we were saying about you know, open source stuff. It moves so quickly. And I think that's exactly. where you have, I talked to a lot of senior engineers who, have had to go from things like Perl uh, into, or even if, you know, not even that as old as that, things like PHP, which is obviously huge. It was huge. The whole of the internet was built on PHP, but then the idea of actually still being a PHP developer and wanting to build something robust is, you know, doesn't work that way. So you have to be adaptable within the industry. So the person that's got 15 years experience might not actually have as much experience in the language you want as someone who's got three, because they'll be working with that language consistently for three years. Whereas the person with 15 years experience has only just started to learn that. Um, so yeah, I think it's identifying the skill sets. Yeah, that's a very important point and something worth keeping in mind as a junior. Like, don't be intimidated because something like PHP was was riding high and was the gold standard. You know, Facebook, which is the most successful technology company of all time, in my opinion, uh, and the most innovative, was built on PHP. Yeah. And now PHP is, honestly, it's considered a bit of a meme uh, yeah. and, and people laugh at it in the programming community and uh, you know, um, even when I was still recruiting, uh, you know, we were, we were moving away from it then. And it, it, it's, it's very digital it agency, be, isn't it? That's the things it's, it's, it's made for campaigns yeah. and made for landing pages and that kind of thing more. It, exactly. And now there's more modern tools for that. So, um, definitely you're better off learning something that isn't PHP. Yeah. And don't <laughs> learn Flash as well. Now. I'm not even sure Flash is still running, is it? <laughs> I think Flash is being, has either just been officially retired or will be yeah. retired. Um, yeah. but yeah, Flash is, um, yeah, JavaScript, I think, is one. Uh, yeah. I think would be safe to say. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, but I mean, jo- learning, for me, the best way to sum it up is like either learn JavaScript or Python first and then take it from there because there is a world. But what you've talked about with Go slash Golang, uh, that is actually my sort of hot tip. If you're already a programmer, try and learn that because the market for it is popping off and yeah. uh, there's some really cool companies using it. Yeah, it's even things like Rust as well and um those more niche ones, but I think even if you know we're starting out learning things, C plus plus, even that's you know it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of gold standard. But um, if you, it's not just about learning a particular language, like about learning the syntax of that language and how that's relevant to other, because every language has evolved from a different language or takes things yeah. from other languages. Um, so the more you're exposed to, the more you understand the nuances, the nuances, nuances of nuances of different ones, and they're going to help you ultimately when you continue to learn i guess it's like learning languages in terms of spoken languages as well mm. um they all have attachments to each other um i only speak english but i, I imagine they all have attachments to each other um, i'm the same yes <laughs> yeah so once you've learned one it becomes easy to learn more because um, you can see the 
the relationship between different ones and how they how they uh, take things from each other. Yeah, because you have to learn the concept of things like variables and loops and that sort of thing. It's just the implementation is different. And yeah, um, yeah. and also the further down the, the sort of tree you go, um, in my opinion, the gold standard of how to learn to code uh, in, in 2021 uh, is what I could call this podcast title, um, yeah. is Harvard CS50 course. So okay. it's a class from Harvard, which is 100% free to take for anyone in the world. Um, and they actually, they do a bit of scratch to start you off. It's quite funny because it is literally like zero to 100. They start you off with scratch, which is really fun, like graphical, like you create fun little games with it. And then you learn C. And well, C okay. is like, <laughs> it is yeah. tough. However, it's the fundamentals. And once you understand how C works, it makes the whole thing easier. And it's very deliberately set out in that way because once you do C in the Harvard course, they then bring you in stuff like JavaScript and Python, which then becomes so much easier. Um, and I remember when we were working at Talent, that's when I was doing the C. So if you ever looked at me on one of our lunch hours sitting at my desk and crying, it's probably because I was trying to code C. When you're doing your <laughs> doing your little peep tribute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That was my first. God, that was really showing how aged it is. Um, when I, uh, yeah, my first website ever made. Uh, in fact, you were the first person to see anything I ever coded. So yeah. um, I think I was very, very polite, wasn't I? <laughs> I think you were quite polite. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, it, it is your first, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is my first. It was literally like a year seven IT project. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was... Uh, do you know what? I actually stumbled across that on GitHub the other day, and it is um, it is shocking when you see the code you've written. It, it's good, though, isn't it? Because you can look at something like that and be like, it's amazing how far you've come on that and, and what, you're, what you're doing now. So I think it's probably a good thing to look back on those things sometimes and be like, that's where you were, and um, yeah, this is what you can do now. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, it's like climbing, a, it's like climbing a mountain and then, you know, you're still only halfway up. You're perpetually, that's the thing about engineering. You're the more it's a paradox of the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. Um, yeah. But what you've got to look down the mountain occasionally and realize how far you've climbed. Yeah, definitely. Sure. That's the same as same as life. So on that on that <laughs> philosophical note, uh, our uh, our lunch hours are rapidly coming uh, coming to an end, and I think we both need a bite to eat. So um, yeah, it's been it's been really awesome. Uh, well, just catching up with you generally, mate. But um, but yeah, it, the insights you've given uh, have been fantastic. And um, do you do you want to just give some details about like Form Three, uh, any kind of vacancies, the best way to get in touch uh, with, with you, and and what people can do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, it's been a pleasure uh, talking about that. Um, yeah. So with Form Freeze, we um, a hu huge drive on the engineering side. So any software engineers or senior software engineers at the moment uh, who work with with GoLang or anything Java Python who are interested in in cloud based software, um, please apply. And we you can find us on formfree.tech. Um, our careers page is on there, and you can apply through there or search for any of the the talent partners on on LinkedIn. Um, and, and someone will come back to you on that. Um, I'm particularly now working in products, so any product managers, business analysts, um, if you're in payments, excellent. Uh, if not, then please still feel free to reach out and let me know. Um, yeah, and we'll be hiring across operations and all the teams, really, and we're even looking for people within talent as well. Um, we, we've started to look at different uh, areas geographically, so UK, um, I think we're hiring for at the moment, so if anyone's out there who's a recruiter maybe looking to go internal um then feel free to reach out to myself on linkedin um or go for our careers page fantastic and form three is fully remote right yeah we do have an office in london and an office in amsterdam um so we have an office in london you can work from whatever you like but ultimately it's, it's work from home um it's it, we're, we're a remote remote first company so we have an office but we're remote first 
Fantastic. That, that sounds great. So what I'll do is I'll put Form 3's uh, details in the description of the podcast and Sam's contact details as well. But yeah, and, until, until next time, thanks very much, Sam. It's been great having you on. And uh, yeah, this has been uh, Cam with the Coda Career. You can subscribe to us uh, here on your podcast feed of choice to our YouTube channel. And if I have configured the service correctly, the website should be up, but probably not. So stay tuned on that. And uh, thanks again. See you next time.